as I read out loud. John chapter 2, verses 23 through 25, the Word of God says, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, in the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them, because he knew all men, and needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man." And let's pray. Lord, thank you for these words, eternal, <laughs> perfect. Thank you for the testimony of, of Christ, a perfect example. And I pray, Father, that you'd give us wisdom, help us to keep our eyes on you in the midst of all of life's disappointments. Help us to keep our eyes on you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. I've known about these verses for many years. I believe I was in... Bible college studying to be in the ministry, and I came across these powerful words, and the Lord taught a powerful lesson. Interesting story. Jesus had just started his public ministry with a very public miracle at the marriage of Cana in Galilee. Uh, His popularity was picking up. His fame was spreading abroad. And the Bible gives us a little commentary telling us what was in the mind of Jesus, telling us what Jesus was thinking. Now, anytime the Bible explicitly tells you what Jesus was thinking, it's probably a good idea to sit up and pay attention, isn't it? Because Jesus tells us what he's thinking, but here the Bible kind of puts a little bubble over the mind of Christ and tells us what he's thinking giving us insight into the perfect philosophy of Christ. And the Bible says in verse 24, but he did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men. What an interesting thing. Jesus' ministry is starting and he, he looked at the crowds and he said, I'm not here for you. I'm not committing myself to you. I'm not going to go forward because of you. There was a deeper thinking in the mind of Christ. I just want to give you three quick thoughts today, and we'll go to our prayer time. Number one, we see the knowledge of Christ. The knowledge of Christ. Jesus knew something about these people that it seemed like other people didn't know. And I think a lot of people make the mistake of not realizing what Jesus knew. And if you imagine, (laughs) Jesus was born in obscurity, although very locally, uh, boy, what a miraculous birth. Uh, Born of the Virgin Mary, uh, the the angels singing, the shepherds being told, uh, the wise men coming later. And so there were these local events where God made sure Mary and Joseph knew, and that certain people knew this was a big deal. Uh, But most people didn't know the special birth of Jesus at the time. Uh, He grew up and lived a life as a child, became a teenager. Uh, At his uh, bar mitzvah, uh, took on the apprenticeship of a carpenter, worked until he was about 30 years old building things putting up houses, 
building furniture. I wonder how many people shook his hand and didn't know who he was. I wonder how many people looked him in the eye and spoke to him face to face, but they didn't know who he was. How many people had a good laugh? I wonder how many times Jesus slapped somebody on the back in kind of a jovial, friendly laugh. How many times did Jesus give somebody a hug and they didn't know who he was? He lived 30 years in obscurity. Willing to do so, by the way. Are we willing to live in obscurity? Are we willing to labor when no one knows? Are we willing to do what needs to be done without the accolades and the the name and lights and the certificates and, and all of these things? Our Savior was. When he was about 30 years old, he began his public ministry. We find in, in John uh, chapter 2, his first miracle. And there was a marriage at Cain of Galilee, and his mother was there, and they had run out of wine. And verse 3, And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? <laughs> Mine hour is not yet come. What an answer. Woman, it's not time for me to do miracles yet. I wouldn't recommend calling your mother woman. That's probably, <laughs> that's probably not going to work out too well for you. <laughs> but it's interesting, Jesus relented even such a perfect fulfillment of Scripture. Honor thy father and mother. He honored her request as the adult God-man. He said, it's not really time but it doesn't violate scripture that can be interpreted in here. Jesus would have done it. So I'm going to honor your request. And Jesus turned the water into wine. And of course, it tasted better than what they had already had. Verse 11, look at John chapter 2, verse 11. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth what? His glory. And boy, Jesus is glorious, isn't he? People started to see, wow, there's something different about this guy. Glory means brightness. You can't miss it. It's, it's illuminated. There was just something different about Jesus, one who had lived in, in obscurity his entire life. Now he couldn't go anywhere without people starting to realize who he was. And every time he did some miracle, his fame growing exponentially, he goes on to say that verse 13 of the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem and found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and dugs and the changers of money sitting. And so imagine Christ, <coughs> he goes to the temple as he had so many times before. Uh, and when you'd walk into the temple, there were very specific rules about what to do, what not to do. And people had to bring offerings to offer to God. But what they had allowed was there would basically be vendors in the temple selling sacrifices that were needed. So people could just show up, buy these sacrifices, probably at a pretty good profit, uh, and then uh, sacrifice their, their animals. Uh, and Jesus had probably seen this 
at least once a year. But who knows how many times he had seen this thing happening. But now his public ministry was here. Uh, He was going to behave himself differently. And look what it says in verse 15. And when he had made a scourge of small cords. What's a scourge? It's a whip. So imagine Jesus taking his belt. In In our vernacular, when I was growing up, it would have been daddy taking off his belt. You know, and now some things are going to happen. Uh, and Jesus makes a scourge of small cords, and he drave them all out of the temple. And notice, inside the temple, they had sheep and oxen. They had uh, bins full of money. They had tables set up. So Jesus has got his whip. You see the, the people, the vendors running out the door, and... Uh, you know, sheep running out the door, the oxen running out the door, him uh, knocking over the table, and you hear the coins bouncing on the stone and and, uh, taking tables and throwing them over. Now, most people who have a modern idea of Jesus don't know this Jesus. They think of Jesus as always compassionate. Almost, you've seen the pictures of almost like a weak, effeminate, uh, feminine-looking Jesus. That's not what Jesus looked like at all. They often picture Jesus having long hair. Jesus did not have long hair. We can prove that through the scriptures. The Bible says it's a shame for a man to have long hair. He did not, unless you have a Nazarite vow, he did not. Uh, People say, well, he's from Nazareth, so he was a Nazarite. No, people from Nazareth are a Nazarene, not a Nazarite. So there's all kinds of uh, little details that get people mixed up. This idea of Jesus being this, this effeminate, weak person who just lets everything go because he loves everybody, that's not the Bible Jesus. The carpenters would have been rugged. He had calluses on his hands. He looked like every other man. The Bible says there was, if you didn't know who he was and if God's glory hadn't been upon him, there was nothing about him that was becoming, nothing about him that would have been like, oh, that's different. Even when Judas came to Uh, show who he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Judas said, hey, you'll know who he is because he's the one I'm going to go up and give a greeting to, the greeting of a a kiss that was customary for for the Middle East uh, at that time and even much of still today. This is just Jesus. He was a rugged man. And by the way, the same Jesus who turned over the, the tables and ran people out of the temples, the same Jesus who's going to judge the world someday. Better believe it. This is the Bible, Jesus. But if you, if you put yourself in the Bible times, nobody would have had the courage to walk into the temple and start running people out. Nobody would have had the courage and the vendors wouldn't have listened. And the Sadducees would have stopped the whole thing. But here is this man who's now the God-man who started his public ministry. And there's something different where he says jump and people say how high as they're already in the air. Jesus says go and they're already running out the door. Uh, Something different about this man. And imagine how this would have helped him All the people that every time they walked in, the common man, every time they walked in, they said, these guys ought not be here. This isn't right. These guys ought not be here. And they shouldn't have been by the the law. 
But now Jesus, the hero of the common man, was doing what was right. His fame began to grow even more. He said that the disciples remembered verse 17, and his disciples remembered that it was written, The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. He says in verse 16, Take these things hence, make not my father's house an house of merchandise. They'd lost the purpose for the temple. Verse 18, the Jews wondered what's going on. They said unto him, What sign showest thou unto us, seeing thou doest these things? Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Well, they thought he was talking about the temple structure that took 46 years to build, Solomon's temple, verse 20. Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? By the way, the most expensive building ever built uh, whenever you adjust for inflation in the times. The most expensive building that's ever been built in the history of man was Solomon's temple. And Jesus said, tear down this temple and I'll raise it up. But he wasn't saying, watch, watch the difference. He wasn't saying, tear down that temple. He was saying, tear down this temple. And in three days, I'll raise it up again. And of course, he was talking about the resurrection. That's the greatest sign that mankind's ever known. Verse 21 says, but he spake of the temple of his body. Verse 22, and he was therefore risen from the dead. His disciples remembered that he had said this unto them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus said. Imagine how many things after the resurrection, the Holy Spirit reminding the disciples what Jesus had told them. Very special. But we have the knowledge of Jesus. All this was happening. A man that was in relative obscurity now walking in such power, in such courage. His fame was growing exponentially. He looked at the crowds following him and he said, I know something that none of you know. And that leads us to number two. We see number one, the, the knowledge of Christ. Number two, the nature of man. Look what Jesus said. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men and needed not that any should testify of man for he knew what was in man. What's one thing all men have in common? They're sinners. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Jesus said, I can't build my ministry upon the crowd because I know what's in you. I can't let my motivation be the followers because I know what's in you. And this helped Jesus stay on track. The best of us are sinners at best. You know, even good people sometimes do really dumb things. That's right. Have you ever known somebody who's a pretty good person, but they just do really dumb things? That's right. And when I say good, I'm talking about the Bible sense. So there's none good, no, not one. 
In some sense, that's true, but Titus also said, Paul told Titus, be lovers of good men. So there is a good in a sense of a, a moral good, a commitment to the moral good. A man, a woman who's committed to trying to live like God. Like, you know, even good people who are trying to do the right thing sometimes do really dumb stuff. You ever had a bad day? You ever said something you shouldn't have said and hurt somebody you love? Did you ever let somebody down? Did you ever give somebody your word and you really meant to follow through, but you didn't? Did you ever have a time when you didn't live up to what you know is right? You had inconsistent days, faults, failures. Jesus knew what was in man. The Bible says in the book of Psalms that Jesus was wounded in the house of his friends. You know what hurts the most? When somebody you love and trust betrays you. Doesn't mean you stop loving. Doesn't mean you stop trusting. It just means that you can't make people the motivation for what you do. Think about David, 2 Samuel chapter 10. We won't turn to it for time's sake. You think David was a good king? Sure. You think God liked David? The Bible says specifically, David said, He liked me, God liked me to make me king. <laughs> God chose me out of everybody else, took him from being a shepherd. Why did he do that? Because God knew what was in his heart. The Bible calls David a man after God's own heart. God said, there's nobody like David that loves me like David does. But you know what David did? He stayed home from battle one day. And he was lounging around on his roof. And from where he could look, he could see a very beautiful woman taking a bath. David used his position and power and authority that God had given him and used it to commit adultery. This is David. You say, well, surely he got it right. No, he tried to hide it. Tried to call her husband home and get him drunk so that he could go and lay with his wife so that he would think the baby was his. Imagine the depths of depravity we go through. You know, if we don't get our sin right, one sin leads to another, leads to another, leads to another, leads to another. You'll work harder trying to hide your sin than you would work to dig out of the hole if you just owned it and wanted to make it right. But this man, Uriah, was honorable. Even in a drunken stupor, he had the integrity to say, I can't go lay in my comfortable bed when my brothers are out laying in the field fighting a battle, catching rest where they can. Because of his, his integrity, he got sent back to the, to the front lines. David wrote... A letter, but the, the irony and the the sadness of this story just keeps going deeper and deeper. 
David pinned a note to Joab saying, put Uriah in the hottest part of the battle. Uriah carried his own death sentence to his captain. And he had the integrity to never open it and look and see what was inside. Joab knew this was a death sentence and he died. Word came back that they'd had some casualties and David was angry. Why'd you go so close to the wall? You know, we don't do that. You know, we don't break protocol. And they said, well, Uriah died also. And David said, oh, okay, then never mind. A man after God's own heart didn't just have a bad day. He had at least a bad nine months because we find later the baby's born. The baby's born sick. David is praying to see if God would answer his prayer. Nathan has to come. Thou art the man. That's the best of us. Well, you can't trust anybody. Oh, don't don't get cynical. Don't get foolish. If you love people, you're going to get hurt. Jesus' point was... I'm just not going to commit myself to them. I'm not going to build my ministry on them. I'm not doing what I'm doing for them. There's a bigger cause. Look at Luke chapter 22. Hold your place here. Look at Luke chapter 22. Just a few chapters over. And we see mighty Peter, Peter who was bold to speak. Look at verse 54, then they took him and led him and brought him into the high priest's house and Peter followed afar off. This is when they finally came and took Jesus and he allowed them to arrest him, take him to the, the trial uh, that would be the final days of his life. Everybody else ran off except for two people, John and Peter. Uh, Peter followed afar off. Oh, but look what happens. But a certain man beheld him as he sat by the fire and earnestly looked upon him and said, This man was also with him or with Christ. And he, Peter, denied him Christ, saying, Woman, I know him not. You have the... Lead apostle in some ways, the most outspoken apostle, Peter, James, and John, part of the inner three of the twelve saying, I don't know him. Verse 58, and after a little while another saw him and said, Thou art also of them. And Peter said, Man, I am not. Denied him again. Verse 59, about the space of one hour after another confidently affirmed, saying, Of a truth, this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. Another gospel adds in that he cursed. Peter cussed and said, I don't know him. I'm not with him. And look what it says. 
and immediately while he yet spake the cock crew. This is so sad to me, verse 61. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him before the cock crow, Thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. So we don't know exactly where Peter was, but we know that Jesus was in the judgment hall. Peter was on the outskirts by a fire. But when Peter denied the third time and the cock crew, Jesus, knowing all things at this point, lifted up his eyes and looked over at Peter, and Peter's eyes met with the Savior after just denying him three times, cussing. And imagine the disappointment Peter felt in himself. He had just said, though I die with you, I'll not deny you. Now he finds himself denying. In John chapter 21, Peter quits the ministry. Imagine him being so so despondent, so discouraged, so disgusted with himself. He said, I go a-fishing. And what he meant was, I'm going back to the fishing profession. He took six other people with him, and they went back fishing. But I'm glad Jesus didn't give up on Peter. Jesus in his resurrected body is on the shore the next morning and has an encounter with Peter. Peter re-enlists in the ministry and lives until he dies a martyr living for Jesus. Folks, even if you've done some pretty miserable things as a Christian, Jesus never gives up on you. There's always a fire with some fish on it. Where Jesus will ask you, you love me more than these? And if the answer is yes, you just come back. We see back in John chapter 2, there was the knowledge of Christ. There was the nature of man. That's what Jesus knew. Jesus said, you're fickle. You're sinful. I can't build my life upon you and your decisions and your, your uh, adulation, your love for me in this moment. Not, not but a week or so uh, before Jesus died. You remember the, the triumphant entry? Jesus is on that, that foal of a donkey and people are spreading palm leaves and coats and clothing so the donkey didn't have to walk on the dirt. And people line the streets saying, Hosanna. They, they're like, you're the Messiah. You're the one we've been waiting for. And less than a week later, the same people are saying, crucify him, crucify him. Jesus said, I can't commit myself to you because I know what's in you. But here's the good thing for tonight and the lesson that all of us can learn. And this is the commitment to God. So we see the knowledge of Christ, the nature of man, and finally the commitment to God. Look back at verse 23. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover in the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them, because he knew all men, and needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. 
But the idea behind that statement is Jesus didn't commit himself to them. So who did Jesus commit himself to? And the answer is beautiful in its simplicity is Jesus was doing it for the Father. We won't take time to look through the book of John and all the times Jesus talks about the Father. He was going to accomplish everything the Father had sent him to do. And everything Jesus did was because of God. And folks, if you and I are going to serve God long term, if you're going to be a Christian for longer than just a short while, you've got to keep your eyes on God. People will let you down. I don't know how many times in my ministry, I don't know how many times since I've been here the last almost 20 years I've been here. I don't know how many times people have told me they stopped going to church because of something someone did. Sometimes it's things that I did, something I forgot, something that in in some way they, they felt that I let them down, and perhaps I did. But you're not supposed to be here for me. Supposed to be here for him. That's right. They well, my my parents let me down. Your parents are sinners. You don't serve Jesus because your parents do. You serve Jesus for him. That's right. Well, a church member did something. Church members are sinners. That's right. And most church members that we've ever had in this church have been excellent, tremendous people. But you know what? We've also had some good people who've done some really foolish things. And sin hurts. It hurts the sinner and it hurts the people around them. But I can't quit the ministry because of people and bad things people have done. And you can't quit going to church because of people and what people have done. You've got to make a decision, friend. Are you going to spend your life not serving Jesus, blaming someone else? You're going to give someone else that power. Someone else had such tremendous power in your life that they robbed you of eternal riches and eternal glory. You're going to give someone that power in this area of this day and age of victimhood where, boy, just people would just assume be a victim is anything else. It's not good to be a victim. Be the victor. Overcome. People are going to hurt you. Follow God anyway. People are going to gossip. Follow God anyway. People are going to lie. Follow God anyway. People are going to fail. Follow God anyway. People are going to get into sin. Follow God anyway. People will show you the darkest parts of their humanity. And dear friend, you have to decide like Jesus did. I'm not committing myself to you. That's right. I'm committing myself to him. This is what Jesus knew. Oh, that's some good stuff. Let me read a last thing about Colossians. Glad somebody's happy about it. Colossians. Look at Colossians chapter 1. Let's remember who we're doing all this for. You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul said, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ, God will put people in your life to help you along. But sometimes your very mentors will disappoint you. 
but you shouldn't be following God for them anyway. Let's be reminded of who we're following tonight in this little passage of Scripture. Colossians chapter 1. Look at verse 12. Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet or acceptable to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. You're going to give that up because somebody... Verse 13, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. You want to hear about his son? Verse 14, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin. sins. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by him were all things created that are in heaven And that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. So we got to put our commitment in Him or in fickle man. Read on. Verse 18. And He, Christ, is the head of the body, the church. Who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him Christ should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you who were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, Yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. That's pretty good stuff. That's somebody you can commit your life to. That's somebody you can commit your future to. And he's the very reason, listen to me dear friend, no matter what anybody ever does to you, no matter what pain and suffering and sorrow you ever go through, no matter how dark the valley or, or a deep the valley or high the mountain or rugged the way, Christ is worth committing your life to. And so no matter where we find ourselves, maybe we find ourselves in the midst of fame, Maybe we're pretty popular right now. Maybe we got a little money in our pocket. Maybe people think well of us. Or maybe we sit bruised and broken and hurt because of what others have done. We need to have the knowledge of Christ to understand the nature of man and commit ourselves to God. I'm not doing this for you. I'm not building my future upon you. I'm fully committed to God. And that makes all the difference, doesn't it? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth, the example of Christ. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you for showing us the way. This is a lesson that's tough learned and difficult to remember sometimes, but I pray that we had always be fully committed